What up, guys? It's JP from the Double Double, and I'm here with my co-host, Ben. What's going on, everybody? Welcome. And today we have our All-NBA and All-Rookie Team episode. Um, at this point in the season, with only six games less left, it's very unlikely that these things will change. So we're going to give you our first look at our All-NBA teams. Ben, how about you kick us off with your first team All-NBA? Let's start it. Yeah, we have the same one here. Um, so my first team All-NBA, the two guards are Luka and SGA. The two forwards are Giannis and Jason Tatum. And the center is Nikola Jokic. Um, I think there's pretty going to be pretty unanimous in terms of the forwards that get in for first team. And I think Luka is a lock at first team. SGA and Jokic are where there's going to be some disagreement. SGA is putting up stats that really nobody else in the NBA is putting up right now. His two-way contribution is incredible, but the Thunder aren't a good team. Um, so if you want to put him second team, I think that's reasonable. But 31 points, five rebounds, five assists, 1.7 steals, one block a game, 51% field goal percentage. That is an unbelievable resume. Yeah, I think SGA is kind of like void of criticism at this spot, honestly. Um, his availability has been great. You just rattled off the stats. The efficiency is unbelievable. He's by far the number one option on this team. Um, and he, uh, you could, some would say that he's dragging them to the record they have. This still isn't a very talented team. They're the youngest team in the NBA still. So for them to be, you know, actually kind of fighting in the play-in situation is impressive to me. I actually think Luca might have more criticism coming to him than SGA because this, the statistics for Luca are just off the charts ridiculous you know, 33 points a game and the efficiency is very good. And he's getting nine rebounds and eight assists as well. Like just kind of historic numbers. Um, but the team has drastically underperformed, which we spoke about in our last episode. So I think he may garner some criticism, but I think Jokic is pretty, well, I mean, that's going to be a conversation just because Embiid and Jokic, but Tatum and Giannis, that kind of feels locked in for me, just SGA Tatum and Giannis. Yeah, it's a weird year. So the forward spots this year, I think people are going to realize as everyone's all NBA teams start coming out, the forwards are a bit weak this year. Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, they haven't played as much games as people want them to. Um, there is no threshold that you need to play X amount of games before you're allowed to get voted in. But a lot of voters have those. Bill Simmons is a voter and he's got his own list. You have to play 55 games. Um, neither of those two have reached it. Um, another guy who has not yet reached that threshold, Steph Curry who was left off of our first team. He's played 51 games this year, and he's looked really, really unbelievable in those 51 games. Um, SGA's played 13 more games than him so far. I'm not sure <clears throat> how large of a gap that really is, but 51 games is not, it's not a full season. No, he he's missed a substantial amount of time, and that's what I spoke about in the last episode as well. Like, I think we do start... Like we knew we need to start looking at Curry as kind of an injury risk. Um, but like you said, like in 51 games, he's averaging 30 points on 50, 43, 91. Yeah. Um, that's just an absurdity. And he is by far the engine of this Golden State Warriors team. He always has been. He always will be. Um, so, you know, he absolutely deserves to be on an all NBA team. He hasn't met the game threshold yet. But by the end of the season, with how competitive the West is, all the stars are going to be playing if they're healthy, and he's healthy right now. So he will eventually reach that threshold. The Warriors need wins. They need to keep themselves out of the play-in, and if Steph Curry is good to go, he will play. 30 points a game, 
on 66% true shooting is not something that other people in the NBA are capable of. Um, it's an unbelievable stat line. If he had played six more games, I think he's probably a lock for first team. That may feel yeah. like a small number for you, but just being Steph Curry and the amount of games that he's already done this in, like if he was close to 60, I think people would be putting him at first team. Yeah, and I think the win-loss record with the Golden State Warriors doesn't matter at all, really, because they have failed him as an organization and as a team. There has been four instances this year where he's had a 50-point game and they've lost. Um, that just doesn't make sense. No other player is dealing with that type of bullshit. So, yeah, Curry's for sure on my second team. Yeah, so let's talk before we move on to second team. Let's just talk about Jokic versus Embiid because yeah. it sucks. It's really just a shame of the way all NBA teams are constructed that they're not positionless. Um, and Embiid and Jokic, they can't both be all first team all NBA, even though they're two of the five best players this season. Um, I think last year Embiid was forward eligible and there was some talk about, you know, could we slot him into first team? Could we cheese it that way? Um, and if there's ever a year to do it, now's probably the year. Um, just yeah. because if there, there's no argument between him and Jason Tatum over which guy belongs in first team more. Right. I just, I don't like it though. I, I think it's good that we only have one of these guys at a time because that's just the way it's been done for like 70 years. Yeah. So like, this is another Bill Simmons, but I know we brought up his name, but when he talks about all NBA teams, it's super interesting. Like if you think about, you know, the early two thousands with like Kevin Garnett, Dirk Nowitzki, Tim Duncan, Chris Weber, like one of those guys was getting left off the all NBA teams. And yeah. all of them are top 10 players, not top 15, top 10 at that point. And like, there was a year Chris Weber made first team all NBA. That means he was better than Dirk, Tim Duncan, and Kevin Garnett one season. That matters a lot. If you go back to 2016, Kawhi Leonard was first team All NBA above Kevin Durant, and he joined LeBron on that. Like he was, he had a better season than a top 12 player of all time. Mm -hmm. That's just really cool, and it kind of encapsulates like what was happening in the moment. Um, but then it also kind of like Embiid's a second team player. That's weird. He's averaging 33, 12 and four. It just looks weird on paper, but I do kind of like that head to head competition that it forces. Yeah. If you're talking to people who are basketball heads and understand basketball more than just like, here are the accolades that I read on basketball reference, then that sort of stuff makes sense. But we're going to be having conversations in the future about yes. people who did not watch Joel Embiid but just see yeah. the amount of second team all NBAs that he made. And that bothers me. But I do think, you know, keeping it the way it's always been, that is the right thing to do. And just to be fair to the opposite argument, like make the all NBA teams positionless. DeAndre Jordan was a first team all NBA player at one mm -hmm. point. And that's just disgusting. And like, he gets to have that on his resume and Joel Embiid won't. So like, that's kind of the weirdness. Um, but I don't know. There, there will be a way because this has made such headlines, these two guys going at it over the last three years. Like, this is going to probably spark some level of change. Um, it's it's definitely possible, man. Because a lot of people are talking about why is All-NBA not positionless. Um, Nikola Jokic, though, just before we move off, I haven't rattled off his stats. 25 points, 12 rebounds, 10 assists, 1.2 steals with 64-39-82 splits. 70% uh, true shooting is the best true shooting in the NBA this season of anybody who's taken, you know, a certain number of shots. Um, 
to be doing this, to be having the most efficient season of anyone in the NBA and also be putting up 25 points a game on top of all the other stats. You know, there's been a lot of Jokic hate recently, I think just because people want Embiid to win an MVP. And sometimes that talk, man, just gets so exhausting. The MVP talk has almost hit a point where it's like not as enjoyable to have right now. Correct. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you. Um, Jokic is literally a pan, potentially a Pantheon player, depending on how the postseasons go for him in, in his career. But I mean, this is a guy that could literally go down in history as one of the best to ever play the game. Um, I think he's kind of already etching his name into that stone. Like, you know, you could have put him in the all 75 probably, right? Like he's probably a top 75 player of all time already, if not like top 40, right? So, but with him, it's just the defense and it's just the voter fatigue. And like, you know, a few weeks ago, I thought Embiid deserved to win the, the MVP. I did. And then I thought it was Giannis that deserved it. And now I think Jokic deserves it because of how close these guys are. It has sparked massive like, well, your guy can't do this and my guy can. And that's really, really dumb because they're all top five players and they're all having MVP seasons. But yeah, Jokic, Jokic has been incredible. And I just think, I think it's fair to call out some of his weaknesses, but if that's all we're talking about, instead of him shooting 70% true shooting, or him leading his team to the best record in the West by far. I think that's kind of disrespectful to him as a player. I just think it's weird. Yeah, if we're looking at the Nuggets and the thing you're harping on the most is Jokic's defense, you are missing the picture entirely. The Nuggets are the first team in the West. They've made it to 50 wins on the year, and that's because of Jokic. Um, they're a 15th defense in the NBA, and that's because of the skill of Mike Malone coaching around Jokic. Um, the discussion, you know, coaching around his bad defense is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, Mike Malone puts other guys in position to recover Jokic's mistake. Mistake oh, yes. is what I'm saying. Um, so if you're just focused on like, ah, oh, Jokic sucks at defense, he's not that good. Like, please stop talking about basketball, I guess. Well, I think it's okay to talk about it, but it shouldn't be like, the Jokic. main point, right. Right, exactly. If it's the main point, you don't watch basketball and you don't love the sport is is what I would say. Yeah. But it is what it is. But let's talk a little bit more about the first team guys because you're right. We haven't really dove in on these guys. Tatum is our first team forward. And I just want to make very clear, if it weren't for injuries at the forward spot up and down the league, he would not be making my first team. Yes, he's on the second best team in the East. But I think Kawhi, what Kawhi and KD have done this season – far surpass what Tatum has done this season. That's my personal point, and I just want to throw that out there. It would be either KD or Kawhi in that second forward spot because Giannis has that thing on lock, and I still think Giannis is going to garner some MVP votes as well. So, um, But just Tatum in general, I just need to say that because I'm not like super pumped about putting him there, but when you look at the candidates that meet a certain game's played threshold, he is by far the best option to be on that team. Absolutely. Um, availability, when it comes to regular season awards, availability matters more than a lot of other things. Um, Kawhi's ACL tear and the recovery that he had to take is not his fault, but the fact that it took him two months to get ready and to get into the sort of shape he's in now does hurt him when it comes to a regular season award. Jason Tatum's played 70 games this year. I don't think there's another guy in our All-NBA, maybe even in the 15 guys that we chose that have played 70 games this year. And in those 70 games, he's putting up 30 points, nine boards, five assists, and one steal a game. 
Um, his shooting since the all-star break has been terrible, but over the course of this season, Jason Tatum has been excellent. Really, really excellent. Yeah. And that's the thing. He availability is the best ability. And that's, that's what this, this first team not is for me. Be, and and that's okay. Cause you're right. Like there are only a few guys on this list that have rivaled his availability, like Jokic and Julius. Oh, we'll save that for later, but there's only a few guys that have made this list that can rival his availability. So he deserves the spot based on that. But in terms of just like when they're available, how they play, I'm taking a few other options over him. Yeah, and I don't know that it's a canyon. Tatum's putting up 30 points a game on 60% true shooting. But Kawhi and Kevin Durant have been unbelievable this year. They just haven't hit the, the games played. Right, not a canyon, but just the, the probably like Kawhi and Tatum would make my second team. Yeah. If, and if they were available. So it's not a canyon, but I just wanted to say first team seems a little bit rich for me. It does, and it just speaks to kind of how thin the forward spot has been this year. Um, Giannis, you know, there's not too much we can say about him that hasn't been said before. 31 points, 12 boards, six assists a game, and I believe the second best defensive rating in the NBA. Um, he's been a monster on both sides of the ball. He does this, you know, regularly. This is an MVP season. This is an unbelievable season, and it's just kind of what we expect from Giannis at this point. Yeah, and I think he is just being the juggernaut of the NBA. I think he has been the last three years. I think he will continue doing so for the next two or three years. I think the league runs completely through him. And, you know, I brought up the Pantheon for Jokic. Like, Giannis is that guy to be already. Um, I I believe the league runs through him. It feels eerily similar to LeBron, where, like, we try to make excuses for these other teams to win the championship over Giannis. It's not going to happen. Like, last year, the I will die on this hill. The only reason the Celtics beat the Bucs was because Chris Middleton was unavailable for the entire series. What Giannis did in that series with the physicality the Celtics hit him with was so ridiculous. And I don't care about the efficiency. It was just pure willpower. That's what he's going to hit every single team in the league with again this year. And he's going to put up his 35, 15, and 7. And it's just going to be hard to stop. I love Giannis. I really think he could go down as like top 15, top 10 type of guy. Giannis last year in the seven game series against the Celtics averaged 34, 15 and seven. Um, the percentages weren't great. I mean, 46% from the field isn't bad, um, but the percentages weren't what we expect from Giannis, but it was because he was carrying a load that nobody else is really capable of carrying. And he brought him to a game seven. Like there will never be a question again about like, can Giannis carry a team? How far? Like there's never any doubts because of what we oh. saw him do in the finals. Um, he is the guy that everybody in the NBA is scared of when it comes to playoffs. Correct. I love Jokic. I love Embiid. No one's scared of them in the postseason compared to Giannis. Like that's, it's just a totally different conversation. And like you mentioned what Giannis did in the postseason last year against the Celtics, like that's with Chris Middleton being out, which I mentioned, but it's also with Drew Holiday being a complete no-show, a complete no-show, mm -hmm. like 11 points a game on horrible efficiency. Giannis by himself made that a seven game series when it probably should have been over in four. And he's just a freak. And that's why the Bucs are my favorite to win the title. And he deserves first team all NBA all the way. Yes. More so than maybe anybody else. Um, moving on to second team. Cause that's the five on uh, my second team. We've got one difference here. So I'll go through mine. You go through yours. Steph Curry, Dame Lillard, Jalen Brown, Lowry Markin and Joel Embiid. Yeah. 
And mine is Curry, Donovan Mitchell, Lowry, Jalen Brown, Embiid. Um, I'm going to start with Dame Lillard. Um, yeah, because let's... I don't think it's unreasonable at all to put Donovan Mitchell in second team. The Cavs are excellent, and he is their best player. And the Portland Trailblazers are going nowhere, and they just shut Dame down for the rest of the season. But I don't think people really understand what Damian Lillard did this season. In the 58 games that he played, he averaged 32 points and 7 assists on 65% true shooting on a terrible team. He is taking more shots than he should ever be taking in any game because they need him to bail him out of every single game they play in. And he still averaged the most efficient 32 point per game season I've ever seen. Yeah, it's fucking incredible. And it it really does come down to team record for me a little bit. Right. And, you know, you can say whatever you'd like about it because, you know, what would the Cavs be if Damian Lillard was on the Cavs? Right. Like, what what is that difference? But Donovan Mitchell has spearheaded an unbelievable season for the Cleveland Cavaliers. You know, we talk about the Kings playoff drought. The second longest playoff drought in the league is the Hornets. But then after that, it's the Kings. I, I mean, the Cavs, excuse me. Um, and Donovan Mitchell has been the de facto number one option every single night. Um, there is some stuff I don't love that he does at the end of games. Like it's, you know, he's taking the shot and you know, he's not passing. That drives me a little crazy, but generally like 29 points per game on close to 50 40 90 and being a team being on a team that's 48 and 29 and we'll finish with 50 wins like that means something to me and he's just been a leader as well and just kind of I don't know there's a lot into it and it's it's really no shame on Dame at all because I know how dysfunctional that organization is and they've done a horrible job building a team around him but they weren't really winning when he was playing. And you just mentioned, like, they just shut him down because that's how bad their team is. They're like, we don't even need him anymore because we suck that bad. That's kind of, like, jarring to me a little bit. Yeah, Donovan Mitchell might end the year playing 70 games. He's at 65 right now. Realistically, he could get there. Um, And Dame hasn't hit 60. Uh, it, I think it's fair. I think it's right that this argument comes down to the two guys who put up 71 points in a regular season this year. These are two unbelievable scorers um, who have been phenomenal. You know, both of these guys deserve second team. There's only two guard spots, unfortunately. So Donovan Mitchell leading the Cavs to their first playoff berth without LeBron James in my lifetime. The last time it happened was 1998, and I was not alive yet. Um, So the fact that he's able to do that while putting up the efficient scoring that he's doing, I don't think there's any problem at all with Mitchell in second team. Both of the guys deserve it. Like, it's just, it's crowded at guard. And we'll get more into that with third team. But let's talk about the forwards on the second team. I'm going to start this one off with Lowry Markinen. I did a big thing on him last episode where he deserved the most improved player award. And just, if we just get rid of the awards talk and we just talk about him as a player, not how he's improved, just who he is today. This is a guy that any team would absolutely love to trade for. Doesn't need the ball that much. When he does have the ball, he goes to the hole, shoots a three, or just keeps it moving. And his game is so simple that it allows everyone else on his team to do better. And what's interesting with him is like, when you look at his statistics, you see the scoring, you see the rebounding. He's been a great defender this year. The assists look weird. He only has one assist a game. And you're like, oh, he's a ball hog. It's not the case at all. 
It's just they want him to, whenever he touches the ball, either keep it swinging if he doesn't have a good shot or just fucking go, rip it. And that's the, the system they've put in place for him. And he's done it about as effectively as humanly possible. I am a huge marketing guy. There are only two guys on the Jazz who take more than 10 shots a game right now. Lowry Markinen's at 17, and their offense is basically, we're going to move this thing around until Lowry gets a good look. Um, he's at 1.9 assists, and that's not a lot at all, but he is their guy offensively. Everything revolves around how do we get this guy open. Every time he's open, he knocks it down. 50, 40, 87 from Lowry Markinen. I saw what he did in Europe over the offseason, what he was doing for Finland. And I expected him to be good this season, but I did not expect a 10 point per game jump and for him to be the number one guy. Um, I think it's absolutely awesome to know, to just to see how his career started and the way he was stuck in Chicago under Jim Boylan and the fact that he is free and doing well. I'm so happy for marketing. Yeah, I am too. And just, we all, everyone's going to love him as an offensive player because of how unique the style of play is like just a six eleven guy that can stroke threes from 30 feet and just posterize you. It's a very unique, the defense stuff with him came out of complete, completely nowhere for me. Like I just never viewed him as a good defender and he is in an elite class with expected uh rim field goal percentage like deterrence like when he's at the rim he's up there with jaron jackson jr brooke lopez walker kessler that's fucking weird that's really weird that he's in those conversations because you he just hasn't been that guy his entire career but i think he ranks like ninth in that category you wouldn't think he would ever be in the top like 50 of that category so that just shows a huge improvement from him that's definitely true and i think part of that goes to walker kessler the fact that he's right there with him protecting the paint um, I've never really thought of Lowry Markinen as an excellent defender. So that's like a really interesting stat. Um, I would have thought this is a guy who's all offense and you know, that, that is definitely surprising. Um, I'm going to move on though and talk about the other forward Jalen Brown. He deserves so much more respect than he ever gets. 27.7 boards, three assists as a second option. We're, we're getting to the point where it's hard to argue there's better second options in basketball. Um, I, that's really where we're at. Jalen Brown is almost shooting 50% from the field as well. Um, the defense isn't excellent, but he's averaging over a steal a game, and he fits into the system. The Celtics have better defenders than him, but he is certainly not holding them back in any sense. I completely agree. I think it's hilarious looking at Twitter's uh, Celtics Twitter with the amount of disrespect he gets. It's why I feel like Celtics fans maybe don't. I mean, maybe I'm generalizing here, but maybe some Celtics fans don't understand the gem they have in him. Yeah. You mentioned his stats, shooting close to 50%. He is one of the premier drivers in the entire league. He is so athletic. He is so strong. He has such a great first step to just get by-bys and ex get by guys and explode to the rim. Um, he he really is a special, special second option. And, you, you know, I think some of the reason that trade chatter or him leaving chatter has started – is because he could be a legitimate number one option on another team. That's why I think it fuels that because he's so talented. Um, but yeah, he he's he's played 64 games, so he's been really healthy as well. He deserves that spot for sure. It's ridiculous to look at his offensive stats. I'm going to read off some, some numbers. His field goal percentage by distance. Zero to three feet, right under the basket, he's shooting 73%. Three to 10 feet, 48%. 10 to 16, 54%. 
and then 16 to the three-point line, 42%. Everywhere within a step, uh, within the arc, he is hitting that shot. His mid-range has been beautiful all year. Um, People don't really realize. I think a lot of Celtics fans, there's a group of Celtics fans that are very angry with Jalen Brown, and then I think there's a bigger group of Celtics fans that fucking hate those people. Um, And I think that's really what it is. There's a larger group of fans that needs those people to shut up. Um, I don't like all the buzz, all the negative buzz that Jalen Brown gets. Um, some of the shit he says in interviews is strange, but like, just as a basketball player, there's not better second options. No, I'm there with you. And if we could go down the list, we don't have to, because that'll take too much time, but really he stacks up against any number two option in the entire league. It's, it's great to see how the Celtics have kind of just grown the team from the ground up homegrown everything it's crazy it is crazy so let's get to the best second team all nba guy you could possibly have Joel Embiid. 33 points a game 10 rebounds four assists one steal 1.7 blocks 54 percent from the field there isn't a number you can look at that paints Joel Embiid in a negative light everything he does on both ends of the ball is terrific um, I think he screwed himself by sitting out that game against Jokic. I think that really mattered to people uh, with how close everything's been this year. But statistical output-wise, you cannot get better. Yeah, it mattered a ton to me. It did. I told you that the day before, like the morning of the game, before we found out he was sitting out. I was like, this is probably going to decide who I want as my MVP. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he sat in Denver and then was totally healthy the next game to go. And so is Harden. I think that really, that really bothered me. And, you know, I don't know his body. I don't know what's going on with that, but it just seems fishy. And like, we've been talking about it off air, just like through text and stuff. Some of his comments in the media that recently have been super, super whiny and babyish. Yes. Um, Now, as a player, he's fucking incredible, right? Yeah. And, like, the margin between him and Jokic is I, – I can't even describe how small it is. Um, But Jokic played that game, and Bede didn't. And Jokic beat the shit out of Giannis, and that's why Embiid's second team for me. It's really – I can't even say a single thing about Embiid on why he's second team other than Jokic beat Giannis and played the Sixers game. Jokic, Giannis, and Embiid are the top three players in the NBA. Um, right. That's that's what's happening this season. So the fact that Joel Embiid has to deal with Jokic is really not his fault. Um, there isn't anything Joel Embiid could really have done. I don't think. Um, except for, game. yeah, play the game. Play the game against Jokic, beat the shit out of him, conversation done. Because I think we were starting to get to the point where it was hard to choose anybody else for first team or for MVP when it comes to Embiid. Um, I don't know what to say about this year from Embiid, only that I am so excited for what the playoffs looks like. I want him to come into this playoffs angry and ready to win and to prove himself. And I don't think that's what's happening. After we heard that interview that he gave where he called out Jokic as passively as I've ever seen anybody call out anybody else in my entire life, and then to say, like, oh, I haven't won anything. Why is there pressure on me? Um, I don't like those vibes heading into the playoffs, but I want Embiid to come in hungry. I do, too. And honestly, I think what's interesting is, like, we could start giving the nod to Embiid moving forward, depending on how he plays in this postseason, right? Like, I think, you know, whether it's fair or not, 
players that perform in the postseason, we give an advantage to moving forward. Right? Yeah. Like that's just, it, it is what it is. We've seen them prove it on the biggest stages. If Embiid goes on a historic run in the postseason, 35, 15, and two blocks a game on great efficiency, and he carries them to an Eastern Conference Finals or even the Finals, that will just alter our opinion of Joel Embiid entirely. And we'll be like, holy shit. And especially if Jokic doesn't match that level of productivity. Yeah. Um. So honestly, at this point in the season, I'm just looking forward to the postseason for Embiid because there's not much more he can do. Like, unless he goes on a six-game streak to finish the season out with, like, 40-plus point games every night and Jokic kind of just simmers at his numbers, like, maybe Embiid takes it back, but what are the what are the odds of that? I don't know. Right, and the thing about Embiid this playoffs is I think the majority of NBA fans have the Celtics and the Bucks as two of the most likely teams to enter the finals. And Joel Embiid would have to beat both of them to make it. So if he does that, even if they lose in the finals, if he beats both of them, he will forever be etched above Nikola Jokic. I, th- I mean, not forever, but I think it's it's very, very possible that something like that happens if Jokic fizzles out. Right. And I just I'm reading an article here on the side. Sorry that I need to tell the listeners about Tim Bontemps at ESPN does a straw poll three times a year to get an update on all the awards. And it's very influential. It basically lets you know who's going to win the award. Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid is the favorite to win the MVP by only two votes right now. Two votes. This was done before he sat out that game. To me, that spells Jokic wins the MVP for the third straight time. Because if you go into that day thinking, Embiid's my guy, and then he sits, and then Jokic puts up, you're watching the game still. Jokic does 37, 12, and 11. I don't know. But just props to both of these guys. What a crazy year from both of them. It's just, it's nuts. Yeah, the fact that one of them is going to make second team All-NBA just stinks for them going forward. But the quality of the year, like they're both top three players this year, unquestionable. Uh, Moving on to third team, I think there's a little bit of a argument to be had here at the guard spot. I have Donovan Mitchell, James Harden, Julius Randle, Jimmy Butler, and DeMontis Sabonis. And I have Damian Lillard, De'Aaron Fox, Jimmy Butler, Julius Randle, and DeMontis Sabonis. So I'll let you take the floor because I think with De'Aaron Fox and James Harden, they're two different players who impact their teams in different ways. So I think there's a good argument to be had on both sides. Yeah, exactly. They're completely different guys. Um, De'Aaron Fox kind of shares the playmaking responsibility with DeMontis Savonis. Savonis actually averages more assists per game. But what Fox has done has just been crazy and changing the culture there and the clutch minutes that me and you have talked about with him all year long. He is the guy they go to when games are close and over and over and over again throughout the entire year, he has proven that he can close out very good teams in very close games. Let me rattle off his stats for the listeners. 25 points per game on 52% from the floor, poor three point shooter, 77% from the free throw line with four rebounds and six assists and a steal to go along with that. Um, he He's just, he's the guy for this team. And I, I love Sabonis, but if games are close, they're not calling posts up for DeMontis Sabonis. They're calling pick and roll for De'Aaron Fox every single time. And he delivers almost every single game. So uh, that's why he got my nod. He's had some unbelievable clutch moments this year. And honestly, I 
I might be okay. I think I'm okay putting Garen Fox over James Harden. I think that's probably the right thing to do. Um, I'll go through my love for James Harden, but I think that I now I'm going to switch him with Fox. James Harden is averaging 21 and 11 this season on 61% true shooting. Um, he's played 54 games. He's had some injury concerns, but in the games that he plays, he sets up everyone, everyone beautifully, exactly the way they need to be set up. Um, he has been just an unbelievable playmaker this year. That's what you expect when it comes from James Harden. But on top of that, he's shooting 38% from three on seven attempts a game. So he gives you the spot up three point shooting that you need. And he also gives the ball to Joel Embiid and gets the hell out of the way. And that's also something that you need. It's not James Harden's show. And he knows that he's there to be a second guy and he's unbelievable at it this season. But now that you're saying it, 14 less games than De'Aaron Fox. I do think that matters. Yeah, it definitely does. And that was a part of my reasoning too that I forgot out is just Fox has been extremely durable. Fox and Sabonis have been there basically every single game of the season. And that really matters. And it reflects in the Kings record after being out of the postseason for 16 years. Like the fact that the third seed, no one would have predicted that. No. Um, and it's just healthy play from Fox and Sabonis and all NBA play from those two guys as well. Um, I, I, I am actually very impressed with James Harden this year. I'm not a James Harden fan, but just he has been very good this season. And I think last year he wasn't very good. He was fucking horrible in the postseason. surprise. And honestly, during the regular season, he didn't really impress me either. Like his finishing around the rim was God awful. But what he did this season that makes me impressed with him is he's setting up his guys. He's running with the bench units and getting them them good shots as well, not just Joel Embiid. But he's basically just become a shooter. And he's chucking threes over and over and over again. And because he's doing it at such a great percentage, then it opens up the lane. So his rim finishing has gotten a tiny bit better. So he's kind of evolved his game, and that's why I respect it. But just overall, I... I think Eileen Fox. Yeah, Joel or uh, James Harden is taking less of his shots around the rim now than almost ever before. Fifty percent of his shots are threes, um, yeah. directly down the middle. So it, he absolutely has changed his game in order to not only be the second option, but you know sometimes he's the third option. Sometimes it's give the ball to Maxi, let him work. Um, yeah. Just in terms of doing whatever you need your guy to do, James Harden's been excellent. Um, and you got to give him a, lo <clears throat> a lot of credit. But De'Aaron Fox being the most clutch man in the NBA this season, playing 68 games, putting up all those stats, those are two all-NBA guys, and I have no problem at all giving the nod to Fox. Yeah, and just an honorable mention as we kind of move away from the third-team guard spot is John Morant. Um, I brought this up before we started recording. You know, his stats aren't awesome. They don't blow you away. Um, they're worse than Foxes, but he does, he is the best player on the second seed in the West Conference. And it, it it's a little strange because he has been decently available. He's not an Iron Man. Obviously, he had this little bit of a scandal that we had just have to go through, but it's it's odd. I feel like I'm not hearing his name enough. And I just kind of want to give him a shout out before we move, we move on to the forward spot. Do you think that's all it is? Do you think if he didn't pull out a gun on an Instagram live, he'd be making third team NBA this year? I don't know. I, I can't tell. I, I really can't. 
Because like, I think I we think did hit a point where it was like, all right, we're done talking about John Morant for a little bit. Like people just like nobody wants to talk about him right now. Um, but Honestly, the stats he's putting up are great. I think there's a chance Dame doesn't make all NBA. I, I really do. And I think it's Ja that takes his spot. And it, it's it's nothing to do with how Dame played, but let's just go back to 2020, I think it was, when Bradley Beal scored 32 points a game. Like he didn't make all NBA because his team was dog shit. And like we didn't we didn't give Bradley Beal any excuses that year. Like, hey, your team's ass. With Dame, we've instantly installed these like it's not you, bro, and it's not him. But it's like we're giving him that that thing. We we never gave that to Bradley Beal. I think voters could potentially say, why are we giving a guy whose team is so bad they sat him out to get worse? Like they have the sixth worst record in the league. Like that's disgusting. Why are we giving that guy an all NBA spot? I think I think there's potential for that to happen. I think there's uh, you know, part of that argument makes a little bit of sense, but I think the difference in their seasons is pretty obvious in that Bradley Beal puts up 31 points a game and does not help his team win. Um, I, I'm not a Brad Beal guy at all, but like, if you're taking eight shots in the fourth quarter, when you're already down 16 and that's how you get to 31 a game, like I, maybe I'm just criminally low on Bradley Beal, but I was not impressed by that season at all. And maybe it was just because the wizards are terrible. That's what Damian Lillard this year is doing something efficiency wise that nobody else has done. The difference between Bradley Beal's 31 points a game and Dame's 32 points a game it's six or seven percentages wise, true shooting wise. Yeah. So there is a difference, but no, it's fair to say the Blazers suck. Like how, who cares how many points a game Dame Lillard's putting up? There's an argument that some voters are just not going to give Dame a vote because they have the sixth worst record in the entire league. Like really, if you think about how poor that is, that's really disappointing. Me, I have him on my team, so it's not an issue, but I think, Watch out for John Morant stealing a third-team ball NBA from Dane. I, I think it's a possibility. The one thing I'll say to that, um, and, and I know we both agree, Damian Lillard's played 2,100 minutes this season for a terrible Blazers team, and his team's 12.2 points better with him on the floor, plus 12.2. That's not a number you see from a terrible team very often. Um, so I really think it was, you know, the second Dame Lillard had that little re re nagging injury, the team just shit its pants. Justice Winslow got hurt. Whole bunch of guys got hurt and they tailed. Um, but you know, nothing crazy with saying something like that. Uh, the last guy on our list is Sabonis. Sabonis well, we has the... the forwards still. Oh, we do need to talk about the forwards. Yeah. Let's get right into it. Julius Randall. Go. Julius Randall has been the NBA Ironman this year. Um, he just got hurt for the first time last night. He has played every game he's been available for. 77 games played, 25 points per game on 46% from the floor, 34% from three, 76 from the free throw line to go along with 10 rebounds and four assists. Um, he is the leading scorer on a Knicks team that has kind of shocked people becoming the fifth seed in the East. And, you know, he has had some absolute heater games this year like just mind-blowing scoring numbers from Julius Randle at some points this season um he's just been really impressive and he's been a big part of the turnaround there obviously Jalen Brunson has been incredible as well but Julius Randle deciding to play defense again is important and deciding to become more efficient than he was last year obviously has helped this team as well so uh, I definitely think he deserves a nod 
Yeah, Julius Randle's having the season pretty close to what he did when he won most improved player. Um, he's been great and he's been he's allowed Jalen Brunson to take the reins. Um, there are times where Brunson doesn't play and shit gets a little bit worrying, but when they're on the floor at the same time, like Julius Randle's very comfortable knowing uh, like Jalen Brunson's got me. He will put he will set me up, he'll get me in the right positions. I just have to be patient. Um, to play 77 games, to be number two in the NBA in minutes played this season is excellent. Um, I brought up Tatum earlier in terms of Ironman. Randall's the only guy in this list that has played more minutes than Tatum this season. And the Knicks are so much better than anybody expected them to be. I didn't see them being a fifth seed. I didn't see Randall having this level of buy-in. I didn't see it all working to this level. And you got to give a lot of credit to Jalen Brunson, but you also just have to recognize Julius Randall's played more minutes than anybody else. And he's a big part of why they are where they are right now. Absolutely. He deserves a third team spot. I don't think there's going to be much debate about that one. Let's go to Jimmy Butler <clears throat> at the second third team slot. 23 points per game on 53% from the floor, 35% from three, 85 from the free throw line to go along with six rebounds, five assists, and two steals per game. Jimmy's one of the premier wing defenders in the entire league. Jimmy's one of the best closers in the entire league. Uh, we we know about who he is as a playoff player, but this year I've been super impressed by him as a regular season player because of how often he's played. Jimmy Butler is a sneaky injured guy. Uh, he is missing a ton of games every season. This year he's played 60 plus, um, and that is not a common thing for him. And I think the Heat, despite them being like, I don't know, I, they're probably underperforming a little bit, being only three games over 500. They're probably going to end the season as the sixth seed. He locks them into a postseason spot. I I'm impressed with what he's done. Yeah, man. And for being a guy who is well known for not being an Ironman, he hasn't played less than 40 games in a less than 50 games in a season since his rookie year. He's played over 52 every single game, every single year, except for his rookie season. Um, he's not the sort of guy you expect to be a 22 point per game scorer. Because you know in the playoff start, he bumps that up so significantly and he becomes the guy. Um, but in the regular season, he's kind of cool just letting everybody else get their get their shots, get their touches. This is actually the second most points per game Jimmy Butler has ever averaged in his career. It just seems crazy to think of that. Um, but he is the guy you want to ride with. Um, out of any non-superstar like superstar top five player in the NBA, Jimmy Butler is the guy you want to ride with when the playoffs start. Or yeah, just when you need a win. Right. And honestly, like, <clears throat> if we're just being honest about this Heat team, it's pretty void of talent. I mean, Kyle Lowry's dog shit. Like, Max Struess, they're counting on him for big minutes for, to hit three-point shots for them. Like, Victor Oladipo ro rose from the dead, and it looks like he's still dead when he's out there. Like, this team is not talented at all. The only reason they are in this picture is because of Adebayo, Butler, and Hero. And, you know, a lot of credit goes to Jimmy Butler here. Um, you know, we'll talk, I guess we can move on to Sabonis here because the only person that even, even has a chance to dethrone Sabonis is Bam Adebayo. And I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen either. Bam's played 72 games, um, and he made the all-star game and he deserved it. Uh, but what DeMontis Sabonis has done this year goes far beyond just points, rebounds, assists per game. Um, they brought him, the Kings brought him here for a purpose. There was a vision to have this big man who can help you facilitate, who can run your offense. 
Um, and he's leads some guys to career years. Kevin Herter is having an excellent season. Keegan Murray will break the rookie three-point record. Most threes made by a rookie. He did last night. Crazy. And he doesn't take, he doesn't have very many touches, man. It's just when you give the ball to DeMontis Sabonis, he creates openings for teammates. And he also averages 19 points a game on 61% field goal percentage. Yeah, he is like, he revives careers. Uh, Harrison Barnes, like just as soon as last year, looked like it was cooked, right? And now he's a very valuable role player to this team. You mentioned Herder just on a scorcher the entire season. Um, Malik Monk, has he had more praise than he's ever had this year? No, I don't think so. Like, he's he's just bringing his teammates up. And even De'Aaron Fox, like, as even last year, we weren't sure if De'Aaron Fox was, like, ever going to make an all-star game or ever be a winning player. And now it's kind of like, no question, this guy deserves an all-NBA spot for me. Um, it's just mm-hmm. interesting the level that Sabonis can raise his teammates. And I think that's why he deserves this third team spot. Yeah, man. And he's also one of the best rebounders in basketball. He's number one in total rebounds this season. And him and AD, it's the fight for rebounds a game. And AD hasn't played enough games. So at 12 and a half, 12 and a half rebounds a game, 19 points, seven assists. He is your offense. He is your offensive hub. Uh, De'Aaron Fox is great. Um, but I think it needs to be known that Sabonis is the best player on this team. Um, yes. Both of them together are what make them a third seed and what make them as great as they are. But Sabonis has just been pivotal to every part of their offense. Yeah, he is the offense, like you mentioned. And, you know, I, I think this stat is kind of funny screen assists. Like people used to love to talk about it with Rudy Gobert because literally Gobert had no other offensive skill set. So they'd be like, well, he gets seven screen assists per game. Sabonis, I don't know what the number is, but he probably leads the league in screen assists. The the hard screens he sets completely derail defenders and open up the entire court. And that's why we see Herder being an absolute flamethrower. That's why we see De'Aaron Fox with an incredible field goal percentage because he has a complete runway to the rim every single time they run a pick and roll. Um, it's just incredible what Sabonis has done for this team. I, I love him as a as a player. I just picked, grabbed the numbers real quick. Sabonis is number one in the NBA in screen assists, 416 this season. Uh, second place it. has 320. I knew it. Like, yeah. it's, when you watch the Kings, it's so freaking obvious. He levels people, absolutely levels them. And, you know, you're playing five on four at that point. If you if you take someone out of an action completely to the point where they need to put their hands on their hips and take a breather, like those are free points. And it's just it happens all throughout the season. I, I love them as a tandem. He's 6'11, 250. That's a massive man. Um, and when he hits you, you feel it. He's just there, you can't say enough great things about Sabonis. Um I don't know that there's any are there any big honorable mentions that we haven't mentioned. I think there are two more guards and the guard is the most loaded spot in this league, but it's Ant Edwards and it's Tyrese Halliburton. Um, Ant Edwards is making a late push, bringing this Minnesota team into the actual playoffs in the West. Like they might actually get the sixth seed. Um, And if we're talking about iron men, he is also one of the premier iron men in the entire league. He's played 74 games, averaging 25 points per game, 46, 37, 76, 
with six rebounds and five assists and over a steal and a half a game. That's really freaking good. That's awesome. And he has proven he's a number one option on a team that could potentially get a postseason spot. And then Halliburton, number one option on a Pacers team. That's obviously kind of bad, but the statistics are pretty incredible just in terms of efficiency and stuff like that. So those are probably the two more guys I would maybe just mention, but. What I'll say for both of them, Ant is 21, Halliburton's 22. Next year will be their year. There can't be, I don't know if we can go another year leaving Ant Edwards off of like clearly making all-star teams and clearly making all NBA. I think this is the last year we do it. Um, But yeah, in terms of just, you know, what everybody's producing, I don't know that you can argue Ant over any of these guys, but I think he's right on the edge. You know, in terms of forwards, would I rather Ant or like a Julius Randle? I'd probably take Ant, but that's just not how this award works. Yeah, exactly. But those are the only other guys I'd throw out there. Yeah. So before we wrap up, let's talk about the all rookie teams. Um, my all, I think we have the same first and second team. So let's just run through them. First team, all rookie, Paolo Bancaro, Jalen Williams, Jaden Ivey, Keegan Murray, Walker Kessler. I think everybody knows the story for Paolo Bancaro, 20 points a game, number one option for his team, leading the team in a big push recently. Um, they're above the last 50 games. They're above 500. Um, they are trying to win games at this point. And Paolo Bancaro has been incredible as a number one option, although young, inexperienced, inefficient, whatever. Yeah. Guys, this young, 6'11, 250, people just don't move the way Paolo moves. Exactly. And I think he's one of those guys where the box score actually looks a little bit ugly. If you watch the games, Teams are completely selling out to stop him. They don't give a shit about Fultz, Franz Wagner, RJ Hampton, Cole Anthony. They don't care about anyone else other than Paolo. And I think that that shows you the level of respect that opposing coaches have for a rookie. And I think just based off on that alone, like the award rookie of the year deserves to go to him. And he absolutely deserves to be on first team all rookie. Yeah, 7.3 free throws attempts a game. For a rookie, he was at eight free throws a game through the first couple months of the season. Like he is a force in the paint. Him and Sabonis have the exact same measurables, but Paolo moves like a guy who's six six. Um, the way he blows by people off the dribble is crazy. The touch that he has around the paint is crazy. I'm kind of done. I think I I spend too much time thinking about like what could this guy be with a three point shot, and I do that with everybody. Um, I think I got to just bring those expectations down. And even if Paolo never becomes a good three-point shooter, he'll still be a 26, 27-point-per-game guy. Which is just absurd. I mean, we see it with other guys, right? Like, it's not like Joel's stroking threes every night or Giannis is either, but those guys just dominate offensively. With the way Paolo can handle the ball and get to his spots as how big he is too and just get to the free free throw line over and over again, you're right. Like he's going to be one of the premier scorers in the league moving forward. Yeah. And as much as I want to give the nod to Jalen Williams for rookie of the year, the roles are different. Um, Paolo is asked to do so much more. And I think Jalen Williams has been incredible in his role and I'll just go to him next, but Paolo Bancaro deserves to be the rookie of the year. Uh, moving on to Jalen Williams though, the month or the year 2023, he has been doing unbelievable shit. Overall in the season, he's averaging 14 points, five rebounds, three assists a game. 
And he is the third option for the most part for the Thunder. Um, But the leap that he has taken as a shooter, the fact that he's a 36% three-point shooter on the year now, um, from where he started to where he is now, the growth for Jalen Williams has been unbelievable. Yeah, and you, you've been on his bandwagon basically from draft season. Uh, you really liked him heading up into the draft. Um, he had a game winner the other night. Like, this la- this second half of the season has been spectacular for Jalen Williams. Um, he absolutely deserves to be on first-team all-rookie. And, you know, we just – in terms of expectation, right, we did the rookie report card not too long ago. But for me, I was expecting him to be, like, a, a good role player from day one and not really have much of a ceiling – for me, my opinion has completely changed about him as a player. This is a guy I could see sneaking into an all-star game at some point in time, or maybe sneaking even to, into an all-NBA team if everything goes right. Um, but just the way he's changed my opinion, I've been super impressed. And it looks like his one weakness, which was the three-point shot, is coming around. Because over the last two months, he's been shooting it very well. So it's it's very encouraging what we're seeing from him. Yeah, I'm going to say Jalen Williams does not sneak into an all-star game. He absolutely thunder dunks into an all-star game. Um, wow. In 2023, since January 1st, he's averaging 16, 5, and 4, 53, 40, 83 splits. Um, I know there's other guys on his team. I know Giddy's having a great year. SGA's having a great year. But Jalen Williams is a guy you can give the ball to. And in whatever situation you need, if you need him to facilitate, he'll do that. If you need him to drive to the hole and dunk on a seven-footer, he'll do that. Um, His touch around the paint, his just ferociousness driving to the hole, the fact that he's shooting, what is his percentage from the field this year? 52% over the entire season. That's not something you see from rookies very often. Yeah, no, he's super unique. And I am very impressed with how he's played. Um, let's go to Keegan. We spoke about him a little bit when we talked about Fox and Sabonis. Like, he just broke the record for most threes made by a rookie. That's outstanding. And this is just a very solid role player as a rookie player. That is very, very uncommon. And to be a winning player as a rookie is super, super strange. Like, a lot of rookies are on horrible teams or they're on good teams and they don't contribute. He's kind of just on a really good team and he's contributing it's very rare and i'm very impressed top three in terms of most threes ever made by a rookie in a season number three is dame lillard number two is donovan mitchell and now number one is keegan murray and if you remember what donovan mitchell and dame lillard did their rookie year those guys took a lot of shots and they were the man for their team keegan murray is just out there to catch and shoot threes he doesn't even take 10 shots a game and he is breaking the three-point record 41% from the three-point line on six attempts a game from a rookie, even if he really doesn't provide a whole lot of anything else. He's a passable defender to my eye. He doesn't pass a lot, one assist a game. He rebounds okay. Um, But he is out there to be a catch-and-shoot three-point guy, and he's better at it than almost anybody in the NBA. Not just rookies, but anybody. Exactly. And when you put yourself into that level of competition as a rookie – you deserve major props. Uh, let's move on to Walker Kessler, big man for the Utah Jazz, one of the most dominant defensive presence in the entire NBA, similar to Keegan Murray. He's great at defense, great at rebounding, and then doesn't do a whole lot else, but he's so elite at what he does. Uh, he deserves a spot on all-rookie for sure, and potentially all-defense, maybe. Could you argue that Walker Kessler deserves to be on an all-defensive team? Absolutely, pretty easily. 
right? Yeah. Um, like if this man wasn't a rookie and if you were just looking at the resume and the impact, 100% Walker Kessler would deserve that spot. I don't know if he'll get it just because all defense is only 10 guys. It is so name-based. Um, I don't know, but I just the year he's having has been incredible. It took him a while to get serious playtime. They were sticking Kelly Olynyk at the five, and he was stuck not really doing a whole lot. Ever since they decided, you know, you roam our paint and you stop people from getting to the hoop, he's been excellent, averaging three blocks a game since January 1st, on top of 11 points and 10 rebounds a game. Um, this is not a guy with a huge role, but if you need a rim protector, Walker Kessler does it better than almost anybody else. You traded if you're the Jazz, you got rid of Rudy Gobert, and you brought in new and improved Rudy Gobert. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's literally one of the worst trades in NBA history. It is. It's fucking crazy, dude. Uh, moving on to Jaden Ivey for the Detroit Pistons, coming in at our last slot at the first team all-rookie team. He's been really good as of late. Um, I said a few days ago that, you know, I wasn't super impressed by him. The numbers are starting to perk up at me. These are his last three games. 24 points on 8 of 18, 32 points of 9 on 19, and 20 points on 7 of 13. We're starting to see like a little bit of a run here. Um, he still turns the ball over a little bit, but as a rookie and what he's there to do, as a de facto basically number one option on a team that's just devoid of talent, like he's doing a good job. And, you know, he's showing some promise here at the end. And I'm going to read out his assist totals over his last nine games. Nine, eight, eight. Five, five, six, six, twelve, thirteen. Those are his assist totals over the last nine games. So the he is, is the turnovers. Oh yeah. The, like alongside nine assists, he has eight turnovers. That's like a little crazy. Yeah, the game he had 13 assists, he had one turnover. So there's right. flashes. We're seeing like at least Jaden Ivy is more and more willing to give up the ball which is a problem that I think he had early in the season that even though like when you run a set play with Jaden Ivy, he can make a read, but if you ask him to score, he's not thinking about anything else. And I think we've seen that progression grow where he's willing to make a pass. He's willing to make a kick out. He's willing to keep shit moving and slotting Cade back into this lineup, getting a top five pick. I'm excited for what this Pistons team becomes. They need Brandon Miller or Wembenyama so freaking bad on this yeah. team. Like those are the guys that fix what's going on in Detroit. Um, let's move on to the second rookie team, Jalen Duran. I love this guy. Huge fan. Absolute monster rebounder. Showed some offensive flashes earlier in the season. Mainly a guy who's going to finish lobs for you and just finish really close layups and dunks. Um, but rebounding, inside scoring, and shot blocking, he looks like an absolute steal at 13. And his offensive rebounding percentage is fourth in the NBA. Um, he is an incredible offensive rebounder because he's got athleticism, but he also wants it. Um, he wants it more than almost anybody else. He will jump into a crowd of four defenders and try to grab that offensive board. I love Jalen Duran. He's another guy with a small role. You're not asking him to do post-ups, even though he looked kind of comfortable doing those post-up fadeaway jumpers. Um, he'll be a guy who protects your rim, catches lobs, and intimidates the fuck out of everybody just with his absolute ferociousness, dunking the ball, running to the rim, all of it. If the defense grows, I'd love it if he was like a 1.4 blocks a game kind of guy. 
Um, I don't know if he'll ever be that, but I'm really, really excited to watch him grow. Yeah, he's, he's going to be a fun player. Moving on to your guy, Benedict Matherin. A bunch of scoring, 17 points per game, and then basically nothing else. Uh, we've talked about how he basically refuses to pass the ball. Um, Efficiency is a little weird, but at the end of the day, a rookie being able to score 17 points per game is very, very impressive. A lot of the guys that we've named so far have not been able to achieve that, and he deserves credit for being able to score at the pace he does. Yes. I Ben Matherin's my guy. Um, if you deep dive into the sort of way that he is offensively into the decisions he makes offensively, you'll be a bit concerned. Um, I think he passes out of less than 10% of his drives. Um, so he chucks and he chucks and he chucks, but he's putting up 17 points a game as a rookie. He had a month this season where he put up, where he shot 43% from the three point line. Um, the potential is star. And I think it's obvious when you watch Ben Matherin that he's got the potential to be an all-star and to just be an absolute bucket. Yeah, he's he's great. And he's great at what he does. It's just, I would love to see a little more added to his game moving forward. That's all. Yes, but yes. As a rookie, great season. Mm-hmm. Moving on to your guy, Jeremy Sohan. He has grown in a big way this year. Um, I think he put himself kind of in the eye of the average NBA fan when he switched to the one-handed free throw. Um, and then people kind of forgot about him because it's San Antonio because they're not doing much. But Jeremy Sohan is a freak defender and his offense will surprise people as early as next season. Yeah, he's just he just tries really freaking hard, man. And he defends his ass off <clears throat> and he's not afraid to take shots that kind of make his game weak, right? Like he's not afraid to pull five threes in a game. He's not afraid to go to the free throw line 10 times a game. And it's a really good mindset. And, you know, even though the numbers don't scream at you, hey, this is working, it's working. I can feel it. The The motivation, the trying, it's working. He absolutely blows teams up on defense. 11-5-3, shooting 45% from the field. They're okay. Um, he's never going to be a number one option as an offense, but that's never what we expected from him. He's going to win a championship one day, and he's going to be valuable to a team. He is, you know, supercharged Draymond Green. Um, maybe maybe closer to Scotty Barnes. He is a fluid mover. He runs very well. He handles the ball very well. He makes very good passes. But if you're asking him to score from outside of six or eight feet, you're probably going to be disappointed with what you get. Um, I think that's going to change. Jeremy Sohan this year is still great at rim finishing. He still puts up 11 points a game. I don't think he'll ever be like an excellent shooter from anywhere, but he can be an effective scorer inside the arc. He can be an effective scorer around the mid range out like 10, 12 feet. All of that is possible for him. For sure. And he, he, it's mainly effort for him, like in the paint, like he'll just grab the ball and just slam a dunk on someone or like, he'll just, he'll, it's just all effort based. And it's kind of Caruso esque with him where it's just like, you don't look at Caruso and think, wow, that guy's really good at offense, but he finds a way to 11 points every night based on just, hey, I'm I'm going to try harder than most guys. I see a similar path for Sohan moving forward. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Moving on to the second to last guy on our list here, Jabari Smith Jr. It's kind of tough to put him here just because of what he's produced this season, but he, he is averaging 13.7 rebounds a game which is the sort of production that puts you on this list. The field goal percentage is terrible. The Rockets are terrible. The culture is terrible. All that aside, there's something here with Jabari. 
I don't know what it is. I don't know if that six-game stretch we saw is consistent, if he can be that catch-and-shoot guy. But I just think you put a Men Thompson on this team, you put a legit facilitator who will get Jabari to the places he wants to go, and I think we're going to see a great, great version of him. I think there's potential here, too. I was pretty out on him because, you know, there wasn't a single shot he felt comfortable taking and making. And when you draft a guy for his shooting and defense and there's no shooting happening, that's a waste of a pick, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, And at three, too, right? So I was really worried, but... Thankfully, he had a few really good games, uh, 30 points against Indiana, 20 against Chicago, 24 against Boston, only missing two shots. Um, it slowed down again, but at least we got to see a glimpse. Like, we went the entirety of the season of not even seeing a glimpse. Yeah. Thank God he's had this last stretch because he wouldn't be making this team if he didn't. No, no. And, you know, the defense is good. And the Rockets are terrible, and they're not ever putting him in the right positions. Regardless, you drafted him with the third pick to be able to create a bit for himself. Um, it's really funny thinking back that the conversation we all thought Jabari was going one. That was what the <laughs> that was what the reports were. That was what was being leaked. The, um, yep. the fact that that didn't happen. What a great move by Orlando. Um, I expected so much better from Jabari. I knew he couldn't handle the ball, but I didn't see 31% three-point shooting coming. I thought that was going to be much, much higher. And I think you, you did touch on it, though. It, it it has to matter that he has absolutely horrific playmakers on his team. There's yeah. not a single guy on this team that isn't selfish. Uh, I, I think people like to think Shengun is an unselfish player because his assist numbers are okay. He might be the most selfish player on that team. The Rockets games I watch, there's not a possession he doesn't clap for the ball in the post and put his hand up in the post just waiting, and he doesn't do anything until he touches the ball. Mm -hmm. um, this team is a dumpster. And if, like you said, Amen Thompson, even Scoot, right, because Scoot's an unbelievable playmaker, if you get Scoot or Amen on this team or Victor, right, to just add the gravity to the paint and get Jabari better shots – this team, he could look a lot better. The team's still going to be dog shit, but maybe Jabari looks a little bit better next year. I would shed real tears if the Rockets drafted Victor Wembanyama. I would shed real legitimate tears. Um, that would be the end of a career, I think. Um, I think they need an Amen or a Scoot to help facilitate. I think if you go Kevin Porter Jr., Wemby's your guy, go get him involved. I, I would cry. Um, but Scoot and Amen could absolutely save this team and could absolutely bring the fire um, that this team needs. Yes. And I, it's specifically Jabari, though, right? Like yeah, specifically yes. Jalen Green as well. I think both of those guys would do much better with a nice facilitator next to him. Um, moving on to the last spot on this list. I think there's three guys you could give it to. I'm going Andrew Nemhart. Uh, seventh among all rookies in minutes played this year as a second round pick. Nine points, almost four and a half assists a game. Nobody expected this. Andrew Nemhart was a guy with zero hype coming into this draft. And yet we know he's an NBA player and he will be for the next however many years. Yeah. Uh, the only reason I knew him was because I was watching so much Chet tape. And I was like, oh, I know Nemhart's a good player. I didn't see an NBA ceiling for him. And he turns out to be a valuable bench player. Uh, this is a guy that I think a lot of teams would be happy to have. Just a guy who can kind of calm the pace, set people up, 
And the three-point percentage is only at 34. He's a better three-point shooter than this. I watched him that whole last year at Gonzaga. He was stroking it from downtown. I can see that number ticking up. I think they got a steal in the second round with Nemhard. Yes, he's a he's unselfish as hell too, which is what it which is so great. Um, there's a lot of guys on this team on the Pacers where when you put the ball in their hands, they don't need the ball for more than three tenths of a second before they're chucking or they're you know throwing down an oop, whatever the situation is. Nemhart's kind of just like Junior Halliburton in the sense that when Halliburton checks out, Nemhart is throwing lobs, he's whipping the ball up in transition, every decision's made quickly. Um, I I just love what I'm seeing from him, and I would love him to be on another team. Like, throw him on the Sixers. Um, imagine, like, having a bench guy. There's so many teams I can think of where you just throw an unselfish table setter on their team, on their bench unit. Things fly. Yeah, it's, it's interesting thinking about him on another team. I kind of love him on the Pacers. Just, like, become Tyus Jones behind Tyrese Halliburton. Just, like, soak up the information you can get from Halliburton. And then just make yourself a really valuable bench player because, you know, depending on how this draft goes, I think the Pacers could kind of like launch themselves as a legitimate team in the next year or two because they have a star in Halliburton and some decent role players around him. Um, You know, if they add Wembenyama or, you know, whoever, Brandon Miller, this team's going to take a leap forward. And if you have a guy you can count on on the bench to kind of supplement what Halliburton does, that's going to be really helpful. Taylor Hendricks is my guy for this team. Um, I think that would be a great fit next to Halliburton. Um, I think you're right. The Pacers are close to being a really, really good team. Cam Whitmore could be another name that could really fit well here. But Taylor Hendricks would be a sick catch-and-shoot guy who'd play great defense. Um, If they nail next year's pick, like, Demhard could just be Tyus Jones. You're right. He could just be reliable as hell on the bench, setting up everybody perfectly. Yeah, and with them, it's all going to come down to the draft lottery, right? Because – they they're close to being worse than Orlando and they're close to being worse than Portland. They could lock themselves into like the sixth worst record in the league. And that would be massive for this Indiana team if they could get a top six pick. Um, so we'll never know until, until the draft lottery happens, but yeah, Nemhart to get him in the second round, very, very valuable pick. Very valuable. Um, AJ Griffin and Tari Eason are my two honorable mentions. Both of those guys are great. Tara Eason's probably the guy I would give it to if I had to pick, but Nemhard just does more. Um, and these guys don't play as many minutes. Right there with you. I love Tara Eason. I think if he played more, he probably would have this spot. No doubt. They put him on the bench the entire season behind Eric Gordon and Jabari Smith. So, you know, more minutes would have meant more rebounds and more dunks. And that would have put him on my team, but absolutely. Minutes. Um, this was a little bit of a long one, but those are our all NBA and our old rookie teams for this year. We tried to go through and think of all defensive guys, but we just, you know, that would be a two hour podcast. There's so many names you can throw in there at some point. We'll probably have that list finalized. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Ben, do you have anything else to say before we get on out of here? That'll do it for me. Thank you everybody. Peace out.